Lord, we lift up the preaching of the word of the Lord. Lord, we love your word and we're thankful for your word and thank you so much. I ask you tonight to come upon me, Lord, and speak through me your words of life. Lord, I pray that as I speak tonight, Lord, and you speak through me, that you would give me the words to speak and it will be as living seeds of truth sown out in a good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. And Lord, over the sermons that are out there and the books, there's things that are out there on the internet and people around the world uh, connect with these, Lord, but we just ask you that there would be a fresh anointing on all of it and that the winds of your spirit will carry your word out to the nations and that your holy angels will watch over these things and make sure that they get where they're supposed to be and the enemy not hinder that. But as you speak through me tonight, Lord, I pray that this will be the seed sown into lives and watered by the Spirit of God in the good fertile soil and take root, grow, produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains in every life. And Lord, that you would confirm your, your word and move with great power. Lord, let there be such an anointing and such a glory to help captivate people um, that all of us give you our best, deal, our, our full attention, our focus tonight. And we're able to tune into you, not be distracted. We bind any distractions. We bind anything that would try to steal the seed in the name of Jesus. But Lord, that you would anoint our eyes and ears, give us eyes and ears of the Spirit, and let your light of truth shine and dispel all the darkness and lies and deception of the enemy and bring truth and revelation. Lord, let your word go out and bear fruit and be everything you want it to. Let there be a washing of the water of the word. And Lord, we thank you that your word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. We thank you for it. And everybody here is in agreement, and those listening are in agreement. And I believe that those hearing this, even if you're driving down the road, wherever you're at, Lord, that you would mightily touch them. You know, whatever year this is that they're going to be listening to this, whenever this prayer, I believe that as people listen to these sermons, God's going to touch you fresh where you're at. And we thank you, Lord, for it now in Jesus' name. All right, so I'm dealing with a series called Covenant. And in the very first sermon that I did... I felt that God really wanted me to help people understand that both healing and deliverance are in the atonement. And faith comes by hearing the word. And this is just the season of God to begin to really increase our faith as a church. We've gone through different seasons as a ministry. And I'm one that I want to preach the whole council. I want to preach everything that God lays on my heart, everything that is in the word of God. I don't pick and choose um, I want God just to release his full word, okay? But in this season, I feel like that God is wanting to build our faith but for multiple reasons. But one is, it's time that we start pressing into some things that God has for us. It's now. Now's the time. And I'm telling you by the Spirit of God that now's the time regarding River of Life. And because I believe that in the days to come, we need to be established in sound doctrine and truth and know God's word so that we can help other people. And so let me go ahead and read these scriptures. And I want people to really give me your best ear tonight. I believe this will encourage you and help you a lot. Because faith is, is definitely, see, a lot of people think, well, if I have faith, then right when I pray about something right then, it's always just going to happen immediately. But that's not always the case at all. Sometimes it will. Most of the time, there's going to require a process. That's what I'm going to deal with tonight. So Hebrews 3.19 
So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. It's talking about Israel was not able to enter the promised land. God told them, I'm going to take you into this promised land. So this was the promise of God. Is everybody catching this? This is God's promise to them, just like God has promises in his word for you. That was the promise. But God knew when Moses went into Egypt, God knew that things were going to seem to get worse at first. Now Pharaoh is ticked off. Now he's removing the straw. He's telling them to be more abusive to the children of Israel than they were before. And things were difficult. The plagues were coming down on Egypt. It was a scary time. And God knew that he had to start a process. And he took Israel, he took them into the Passover where they understood the blood of the Lamb. He took them through the Red Sea. He brought them on the other side of that. He took them ultimately to Sinai and appeared to them. And they were given manna, and God tested them by the waters that were bitter, etc. There was a process. See, we, we, we hear God say, I have a promise, and people want it right now. But God is saying, yeah, there's a promise, but you have to understand that sometimes there's a process to get to that promise. And God knows that it takes us to learn A before we can handle B. It takes us learning B before we can handle C. And God will begin a systematic process in our lives to get us into the promises of God. Because many times, we do not see things about ourselves that we need to see. That's, that's very common. We think, well, why isn't, why isn't things different right now? And God's saying, because I see a lot of things that need to be dealt with. And you don't see them. So Hebrews 4.1 Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith. How many times has people out there that could have been healed, but whenever they heard a sermon on healing, they got angry and they said, I don't believe that's for today. How many people could, could prosper financially, but somebody gets up and preaches a sermon along those lines and they get offended? Why is that person talking about money? You see what I'm saying? They don't combine the word with faith and lay hold of the promises of God. Verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest. Let me say it again. We who believe enter the promised land. Hebrews 6.12 So that you will not become sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited, inherit the promise. You might want to circle faith and then really circle, underline, asterisk, highlight, everything you can do about patience. Because just like Abraham, God told Abraham, I'll make you a father of many nations. But see, God knew it was going to be 25 years down the road. So many times we want the promises of God immediately, but God's got to begin to do a process in our lives. So let me go ahead and dive into this. 
We all have a destiny in God, but many times our destinies are linked to other people. Now, I'm really thankful because when I was growing up, my parents were really faithful to God's house, and they raised us where we went to church every time the doors were open. My parents were faithful in their giving into the kingdom of God. They were faithful tithers, and they were faithful to serve at church. And because of their faithfulness, you know, they, they instilled a stability in me. And see, we all have destinies in God, but many times our destinies are linked to other people. And so they brought a stability. They provided an example. They did a work that sewed into this destiny. See what I'm saying? And many times it's important that we understand that people go to churches for all different reasons. But if people would pray and hear from God about where they're to go to church, and they would be faithful to that house, they have to understand that that is linked to their destiny. Are y'all hearing this? That's linked to their destiny. Because the, the pastor they sit under, the people they connect with, and everybody's got to understand that it's so important that we hear from God and get plugged in there and stay there. And I've seen people over the years that are so unfaithful to God's house. They're here one, one week and gone six. You know, they're unfaithful in their giving. They're in and out of church and they go, they get offended. Maybe they go somewhere else. They don't pray about where they go. They just go indiscriminately places. And you'll see that they're not really going in their destiny. You see what I'm saying? They're just there as a Christian, but they're not really moving into the fullness of what God has. I'm going somewhere with this tonight. So we all want to be useful to the Lord. We all want to know why are we here. And we want to fulfill what we feel God's called us to do in life. But everybody's calling is a little bit different. Their gifting's a little different. And your destiny will be interlinked with others. And many times you've got to understand the attack before blessing. I believe with all my heart that this is where a lot of people miss it. Before the children of Israel were able to go stand before, at the promised land rather, before they got to that promised land, they had to face two kings. Og of Bashan was a Nephilim. He was huge. I think he was like 13 feet tall. Everybody was scared of the guy. He had this, this strong military. There was Sion and um, these two kings in their militaries that were standing in front of Israel. And Israel had to go through that warfare before they got into the promised land. And Og being a giant, it was an intimidation. Sion means tempest in Hebrew. And how Satan will stir up storms. How many times has God made a promise for us? And right as you begin to move toward that and believe God, something tries to come up to intimidate you. Something where Satan begins to stir up storms and try to distract you or cause you to be discouraged and give up. How many people have stood on the brink of promised lands and because of unbelief, for whatever reason, they ended up roaming back in the wilderness for a time. But entering into our destiny will require faith and patience as God puts us through a process. Just like any of you that's ever had keys made to maybe fit in your house or whatever, and you, you go there and you've got one house key, 
And you see when you, you go to wherever it is, Home Depot, Lowe's, whatever, and, and you have, they pull out the other key, it's just got, it's flat, and they've got to take that and put that in the machine, it's going to begin to carve those grooves. And that key that has a straight edge of flat, it's flat like that, it's useless. Until that machine is able to cut the grooves out and get it to where it'll fit, and when it turns, those tumblers will connect right, it'll fall right, then it will be able to open the door. What you have to understand is, is that you... And I are the key to our destiny. God has got to put you through a process of cutting out of you what needs to go, shaping you, so that when it's time, he can put you in that door and the tumblers will turn and the door to your destiny will open. That Jordan River will part. This takes faith and patience to persevere through the processes of the Lord. And we have to learn to be a thankful people. Because the children of Israel in 1 Corinthians 10, the Bible says that we need to learn from the children of Israel and their example in the wilderness. And it talked about how they grumbled and complained against the Lord. And it talked about other mistakes they made with sexual immorality, etc. But one of the things that will keep people out of a destiny more than probably anything else is becoming somebody that's a grumbler and a complainer and is unthankful and ungrateful, and they sit around and have pity parties. Until we grow up and mature out of that and learn to be thankful even when things aren't going our way, learning to praise God even in the most adverse circumstances, and learning to have faith and patience with the process that God's got us in, we're not going to always understand everything, but that's part of the process. We have to learn to trust God, and the way that we learn to trust Him is when we don't understand things, but we still are forced to go through them and rely on Him through them. And then over time, you develop a history with God, and you begin to understand more of His ways, and that He really is with you through the difficulties. So learn to be thankful. Learn to be a praiser, even in difficulties. And this will cause you to move forward into your promised land. So let me tell you something else tonight. I'm going to deal with about three or four different things. One is that we, as we deal with faith and patience, we also have to understand that God has sent his angels to be enforcers. They are the ones that are going to plow through for you. You know, for those that understand a sports reference, I don't know if football is the best example. It's not everybody follows football, but... There's a fullback and a tailback. The tailback many times will run with the football, but the fullback has to go in front of him and has to clear a path. And that fullback many times will run in front and he'll see somebody that's about to tackle him and will hit him and move him out of the way so the tailback can go farther down the, um, you know, farther down and get more yards, rather. But that's kind of what the angels will do. They will go and begin to clear a path. And what we have to understand is that the angels are God's muscle. They're his, his strength, so to speak, in the earth that, that will protect you, that will deliver you from things and fight for you. But what the Bible shows us is, is that the angels of the Lord cooperate with us, but they cooperate with the Word of God. So let me show you something. Go down to the bottom here where it says Psalm 103, verse 20. The Bible says, Bless the Lord, you angels who belong to him. You mighty warriors who carry out his commands, who are obedient to the sound of his words. Or the King James, they hearken to the word of the Lord. What you have to understand is the angels listen to the word of God. 
They respond to God's word. And I can just see, and I, I believe this is very literal. I hope everybody really takes and remembers what I'm about to tell you. I believe this is very literal what I'm telling you. The angels of the Lord are around us, and they're wanting to go out and clear out hindrances and help us come into our promised land. They want to help see souls saved. They want to help see people healed and delivered. You see what I'm saying? They want to see God's purposes move forward in the earth. That's the desire of these angels. That's why, really, why they're here. And to, and to protect us, etc. But I can see that many times angels probably live in a state of frustration because the people that they're wanting to serve are sitting around grumbling, complaining, whining, they're being negative, they're saying things out of their mouths that's cursing themselves instead of blessing themselves. Instead of quoting the Bible, they're speaking all kinds of negative. And then being negative and having pity parties and whining and complaining, grumbling, it's actually empowering the demonic against them. And the angels are sitting there just waiting, like if they'll ever snap out of this and begin to praise God, thank God, and begin to speak God's word because they hearken to the word of the Lord. When we're speaking out the word of God over our situation and circumstance, they hear that word. And they are in the earth to enforce that word. Does this make sense? And many people are not speaking the word of God. They're speaking negative. But when we're full of faith and we have heart faith, even though circumstances are difficult, we are still speaking the word of God. And as that is vocalized out of our mouth over situations, we're speaking the promises of God out. The angels will hearken to the word of the Lord. They hear the sound of those words and they're saying to themselves, it is my responsibility to enforce God's word. And they're moving to go make those things happen. And I'm going to give you some scriptures that would be good for for you to memorize and begin to quote these daily out loud. But this is what the Bible says about the angels of the Lord, and we need to learn to cooperate with them. I don't focus on them and talk about it a whole lot, but I know that they're here. And I have felt and experienced and seen many times the angelic at work, many times. So here's some things about the angels. Psalms 34, 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. And what an awesome promise. Let's get that in our spirit. And we believe that. How many of you guys fear the Lord? If you have a healthy godly fear of God. And you reverence God. You have a fear of God. The Bible says that the angels encamp around you. And they are with you to deliver you. So when you're going through difficulties. They're around you to deliver you. I'm not so sure everybody's getting this yet. As I go, maybe this will get people more excited. Isaiah 63, 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them and carried them as in days of old. You have to understand the word in Hebrew and the word in Greek for saved 
has to do with salvation, but it has to do with healing and deliverance as well, okay? So the angels of God's presence are with us to save us. This is the word yasha, save, and it's like the word sozo in the Greek. Isn't that awesome? Hebrews 1.14, now I've got to tell you, you ought to read this when you get home, but there's not chapters and verses whenever the book of Hebrews was originally written. So when it goes from Hebrews 1.14 straight into chapter 2, there shouldn't be a break there. You just read all of it. And if you read it in context, what the Bible is saying here is that how can we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? But God has sent his angels to minister unto us as heirs of salvation. They're going to help people come into the fullness of what God has. Does this make sense? Read it in context. And so the Bible says they're not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those or minister to those who will inherit salvation. We are the heirs of salvation. So the angels are sent to help minister unto us as we need it. They hearken to the word of God. And if we are a people that will speak the word of God out loud over our life and our, and our situations and circumstances, our finances, our health, our families, and we'll keep speaking the word of God, I'm telling you the angels of the Lord are active on your behalf. But those that don't speak the word of God and they don't pray, they just kind of grumble and complain, the angels are locked up. It's like they're wanting to do stuff, but they cannot be really active until people are moving in faith and in, in speaking the word of God and believing God, okay? Exodus twenty three twenty five. when God said in another passage, he said, I will send my angel before you. So he's talking about the angel here. He said, I will send my terror, this is an angel, ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter and I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. Now how awesome is that scripture? The Lord said, I will send my angels to go before you. They will be a terror to your enemies. And they will cause your enemies to flee before you. Psalm 91, for those that are secret place dwellers, that are prayer warriors. God said, if you're a prayer warrior, you're a secret place dweller. I will command my angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. Everybody say, all your ways. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. And again, I read this at the beginning, but bless the Lord, you angels who belong to him, you mighty warriors who carry out his commands, who are obedient to the sound of his words. So the angels are active, and they're wanting to help people get into their promised land. They're wanting to be around our lives to enforce the word of God. How many of you guys know that the angels of the Lord are interested in what God's interested in? The angels of the Lord are sent from heaven to earth and they're interested in seeing people saved. So when we're praying for people to be saved and we're speaking out the word of God about these things, these angels, I promise you, are active going out to help make that come to pass they're going to line up divine appointments they're going to work things out they help gather in the sheaves they're also very interested in god's people that our covenant rights of being healed and delivered and pro prospering in life etc what jesus paid for they're interested in these things happening 
But we've got to be brought to a place where we have heart faith and we're speaking it out. And the angels of the Lord hearken to that and they help work with that. All right, so let's believe God. Because God can make a way where there seems to be no way. God is a God that if we really believe him, there is nothing impossible for him that believes. Because with God, all things are possible. God can make things happen that in our minds we can't even begin to understand. And so, here's another thing I wanted to talk about. But you need to know your personal giftings. See, a lot of people in the body of Christ, if you were to ask for a show of hands about, you know, what your destiny is, what your calling is, what giftings God's invested in you, most people don't know at all. And that's really sad because God wants us to know and he wants us to be active. See, each person begins to gravitate toward different things in a church. They, they start gravitating maybe to help with youth ministry. They start gravitating toward the praise and worship ministry. Maybe they start gravitating toward like we have touching hearts and, and more of a benevolence ministry going out witnessing and ministering to people. And they, they, because they're gifting within them, is at work and and they feel a drawing to be involved in these different areas but it's important because every joint supplies and it's important that somebody that has absolutely no music gifting is not trying to be on the worship team everybody say amen it's important that that people that have uh, you know no gifting whatsoever in another area just saying another area just in general that they need to find out where their gifting is so that they can go to that area and function there. And they're going to be very effective for the Lord. So here's three sets of gifts. This is really an interesting study. But I call Romans 12 the Father's gifts. And the reason why is it seems like when people accept Christ as their Savior and they're born again, that these things, some of these giftings just simply begin to be at work in their life. So I want you to think about this. If you have a pen, I want you maybe to underline some that you think might apply to you. But these, I call these the gifts of the Father. And so when you accept Christ as your Savior, the word prophecy is inspired speech. So maybe, you know, you're somebody that is used to, um, that God can speak through you some to other people, you know. Also, serving. Verse 7, Romans 12, verse 7, serving. I've seen this in the body of Christ that some people have such a servant's heart. And, there, you know, if there's anything that needs to be done at the church, if something needs to be painted, clean, fixed, whatever, they're more than willing to do it. They have a heart to do it. And they have that gift of serving within them. Another one is the basic teaching here. This is not fivefold ministry stuff, okay? But just, you know... Uh, teaching children helping to to teach in things like sunday school and stuff like that you just have a a gift to be uh helping in those areas i know one person that really comes to mind with this is um you know he's only able to be here sometimes but is zach's dad wally you know you guys love wally so anyways if he hears this sermon all right he knows but this gift he has a strong gift in him of teaching and he loves to explain things to people and he's good at it he just has a really strong gifting there to help people. All right, another one is exhortation. 
Exhortation is encouragement. This is somebody that just is very encouraging to be around them. They're always lifting everybody up. Even though there may be really difficult times and the church may be going through something, the pastor may be going through trials, other people in the church are really down, this, this guy just seems to just lift the spirit. You know, he's just helping everybody to focus on the good. He's building everybody up. He's complimenting people. He's just really encouraging. And we need encouragement sometimes. Another one is um, a giver. This is, there's people in the body that God entrusts them because he knows that they will be generous givers. And if they're faithful, I believe some of these, God will really entrust them with a lot of wealth because he can trust them. They, they give liberally. They just have a heart. Whenever the pastor gets up and says, guys, look, we have a need, they just they pull out their checkbook. They're just givers. They want to give. Another one is leadership. This would be administration that they're good at organizing. They're, they're the type of people that uh, a pastor can say, hey, can you take care of this, get this organized for me, put this together? Because he knows that they have administrative abilities and they can be trusted with that. And then here's, here's one I really found interesting, showing mercy. Because there are sometimes that there's an individual that just keeps on and on and on with certain things. And everybody has given up on this guy. He's burned so many bridges. And there's this one person that has the gift of showing mercy. (laughs) And he will reach out to that person and show them mercy, even though everybody else has written them off. And these are the gifts of the Father. And it's just something when you accept Christ as your Savior that God begins to to put some of these giftings within you. And it's important that you know which ones you have. The next set of gifts is the gifts of the Son. Talking about Jesus, obviously. Now, Jesus is the head of the church. And so his giftings that he has given to the church have to do with the fivefold ministry. And not everybody is called to the ministry. So these giftings I'm referring to right now have to do with people that have a call into the ministry. And so Ephesians 4.11, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. So here we have the fivefold ministry. The fivefold ministry is so important. If you go on to read in here, it says that the fivefold ministry is a gift to the body of Christ to help the body of Christ to be brought to maturity and unity of the faith. A mature man to the fullness of the stature of Christ, every joint supplying. And so they help the body of Christ to come to maturity. Now, an apostle is like many times will have a special message from the Lord. It's a special messenger. But the apostolic has a lot of authority. And the apostolic will be pioneers. They will break new ground. Uh, Many times they're church planters because of that. They also will build a dwelling place for God. If they're a true apostle, they are interested in building a dwelling place for God. And also, they have a fathering dimension to them where they're not just discipling people, 
but it's like they're what they have with God is being reproduced in others. They're spiritual fathers to others. And so that's in a nutshell, the apostolic, um, there's a lot of spiritual authority. And a true apostle, if they're really true apostle, they tend to move in and out of other giftings as it's needed. Um, they can move in a prophetic or an evangelistic, a pastor or a teaching role when it's required to do so. Of course, some will be stronger. Maybe their prophetic and teaching is really strong on one guy, and another guy may be evangelistic and pastoring is stronger. Is this making sense? All right, then there's people that are specifically called to be prophets. A prophet of God is somebody that gets revelation from God on a very high level. We all can hear from God. All of us can actually prophesy as the Holy Spirit gives us something, and we share what God gave us. That's a form of prophecy. Prophecy is not just predicting the future. A lot of people think when you say prophecy, that's the first thing that comes to their mind. That, that can happen. But prophecy is a lot more than that. Prophecy will encourage other people. It will give them direction. It will build them up. It will help them see themselves the way God sees them. But prophecy also, if somebody's a faithful prophet, they will also be used of God to expose the Jezebels. Hello? They'll be used of God to expose sin when things are not right. And they're going to basically get revelation from the Lord and release that revelation. So people that are really not right, they will feel uncomfortable around a true prophet. But people that really love God and are right, they love the prophet because it makes them feel so comforted. They hear, they really, the prophet, you guys know Brother Benny when he comes. I love, love when he comes because he's a true prophet of God. And I love what he has to say. He comes in and you guys all love the Lord and he's there building everybody up, you know. But a prophet of God, there's two dimensions in the Bible. There's a seer and then a prophet. A seer many times will... It's easy to remember because they're always seeing, okay? But God will give them a lot of vision, a lot of dreams and visions, a lot of um, visionary revelation, but the prophet will hear a lot. See what I'm saying? Now, they can move in and out of both, but some people are stronger in the seer and other people stronger in the hearing. Or that's the prophet. The evangelist. I'll tell you what an evangelist is not. An evangelist is not somebody that just goes from church to church preaching to Christians. I just do not understand why people call him an evangelist sometimes. An evangelist is a soul winner. And if they're not winning souls, they're either not an evangelist or they're not doing their job. They're a lazy evangelist. All right? But an evangelist is a soul winner. I mean, it's not going and preaching to this group of Christians and this group of Christians. That's just an itinerant ministry. An evangelist has a heart to see souls saved. And they're going to have a gifting. And listen, when somebody has a five-fold ministry gifting of an evangelist, you can take ten people and put them out on the streets, and they're going to do a fantastic job. But evangelists will go out there, and everything will change. It's a supernatural gift to take it to a whole other level, a soul winning. It just is. All right, another one is the pastor. The pastor is, uh, you know, obviously the shepherd. And probably out of all these, pastoring is the most painful and difficult because the pastor has to stay and deal with a lot of stuff that others don't. And a lot of times, um, I hate to say this because you guys are great. This isn't about anybody here at all. But a lot of pastors, um, 
and their wives have been through a lot, a lot, a lot of pain in the ministry. And their children grow up and don't even want to go to church because of the way they saw mom and dad treated. And that's sad, but that's very common. So the pastor is a shepherd. He feeds the sheep. He takes them to waters that they can drink of. That's the Holy Spirit. He brings them to green pastures. That's the word of God that they feed on. And the pastor will um, have a rod and a staff. A rod is an authority and a staff is a correction where he begins to sometimes have to deal with maybe a troublemaker. But the pastor oversees a church to make sure that that church is healthy and to keep the wolves out. A teacher loves the word of God. A teacher, it's very line upon line, precept by precept. They love God's word. They have a depth in the word of God. I mean a depth. And sometimes listening to teachers is absolutely amazing and phenomenal because what they bring. But you can tell because sometimes they belabor points and they go on and on about certain things because they so love God's word. And they have such a depth. And they'll keep going over the same point, this scripture, this scripture, this scripture, this scripture, because they're a teacher. And you can learn so much from teachers. And we need teachers in the body because they really bring a maturity. And whenever a body of Christ is, is adequately affected in receiving ministry from the apostolic, the prophetic, and there's evangelistic um, activity going on, the pastor and the teacher, when this is there, and granted that an individual can have multiple giftings, okay? But when all this is there, you can see the body of Christ really being brought to maturity. It's awesome. So this is the gifts of the Son. Now the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These kick in when there is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Man, I love, love the Holy Spirit. I love His presence. I love His ministry. And of course, last week I talked about the Holy Spirit. But when we're baptized into the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the one that is taking us and He is baptizing us into the Holy Spirit. And that's in Matthew 3.11. John predicted, there's one coming after me. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And many of you have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes, there's a clothing of power. There's a prayer language that's going to kick in. You're going to begin to function in the giftings. It's awesome. All right, so here is the nine gifts of the Spirit. There, number one, there's the vocal gifts. The vocal gifts are tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. Now, I went over this last week, so I'm not going to go back over it again, okay? The revelation gifts, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discerning of spirits. And then you have the power gifts of faith, healing, and miracles. These are the nine gifts. And we need these in the body. And so what I'm saying tonight when I share all this is what giftings do you have? When you accepted Christ as your Savior, what has the Father invested in you? If you're called into the ministry, what ministry giftings do you have? What has Jesus invested in you? And when you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, what gifts of the Holy Spirit have kicked in? Now, out of all these, the Apostle Paul was referring to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not any other set of gifts, okay? But in regards to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he said, I pray that all of them be at work. So that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is in your life, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, 
You know, you may start out with one or two gifts of the Spirit, but if you're faithful with that and you pray, the Bible says earnestly desire spiritual gifts, you pray that God give you more giftings, He will. But I don't know about you, but I hope that I'm available for all of these when it's needed, okay? So the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all of them can be at work if we'll press into God. All right, now I want to move to the last couple points. Because I'm dealing with a covenant-keeping God. We have the mind of Christ. So let me read this scripture, 1 Corinthians 2.16. Who has known the, the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? Now if you're taking notes, circle we. Because that's not one person. That's not one church. That's not one denomination. That's not one movement. That is the collective body of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Collectively. So I hope I do a good job of bringing this point out. But it's very important. And here's what I want to share. This is not an exhaustive list. Okay. So please keep that in mind. This is just a few that I put together to make this point. But in the body of Christ, there's various movements and groups of people. You have some that are really into the worship ministry. They go to the worship conferences. They read the books that the worship leaders write. They're really locked into that worship movement. And it is awesome. I love worship. There's others that are really in the prayer movement. And to, you know, today a lot of people talk about IHOP, but there's a lot of prayer movements. But they're really into that. They get locked into different prayer ministries and they're really in the prayer movement. There's others that are really into the faith movement. Now, Kenneth Hagin was a great father of faith. And he, in Oklahoma, and you, you see like the Rama, the Bible school there, and they're really into faith. And I love it. I love the faith ministry. It's so important. But that's what they live and breathe. There's others that live and breathe revival. And they're always talking about revival, reading about revival. And they, they talk about past moves of God. And they can tell you all kinds of cool stories. It's awesome, isn't it? There's others that are really into apologetics. And these are those that know the word and how to defend the word of God against those that criticize the word. And the apologetics, these are really important. There's others that are really into end-time prophecy. You've got people like Jack Van Impey and you've got people like Bill Salas and many others. And they just, they love end time prophecy. They're so focused on that and they're brilliant. If you listen to them teach, they're just brilliant. There's others that are really into evangelism, like a Ray Comfort and many others. But they just love soul winning. That's their calling. There's others that are really into missions. They have a heart. Oh, you know, they're always talking about going to foreign lands and, and winning souls. And then finally... The prophetic ministry, there's people that uh, really, they, you know, they read the books of the prophets. They're always listening to those type of sermons. And I think you get the idea. There's other groups. I'm not listing all of them here. But all of us collectively have the mind of Christ, not one group. And so many people, in my personal opinion, make the mistake of locking into one group that's all the sermons they ever hear, that's all the books they ever read, that's all that they lock into, and they get only a portion of the mind of Christ. 
That's why as a pastor, I do not lock into one thing. I don't preach one subject and stay on that the rest of my life. I go from subject to subject. And I don't lock into just one category or one group. I want to be able to glean from different groups that are out there because all of them have something to bring to the table. At the same time, there's going to be in every group out there, every group, every denomination, every group, there's going to be some excesses and there's going to be some things to to eat the meat and spit out the bones, okay? So just keep that in mind. But we all collectively have the mind of Christ. So it's so important that we don't get just into a little bubble and that's all. there's people out there that I know that they're locked into a particular denomination and they never get outside of that. If there's a conference, it has to be in that denomination. If there's a book they read, it has to be by somebody in their denomination. If they have a music CD, it has to be from that denomination. And they're just totally locked into that one thing. And they're really missing out on a lot that God is doing outside of their denomination. So God has called us to collectively have the mind of Christ. And so with that, there's got to be a humility to receive others in the name of the Lord. And God has called us, as I've already mentioned, to be lambs among wolves. That means that we carry the nature of Christ. Even though we're around wolves, we're around a region that has a spirit about it that's not a good spirit in our region, that we're not going to take on the nature of that spirit that we're going to keep the nature of the Lamb of God. We're going to keep His heart and His mind, and we're going to be a lamb among the wolves, so to speak. We need to be careful to be humble servants. We also need to be able to receive from the greater body of Christ and be able to sift through. All right, here's the last two things I want to say. I've noticed over the last, well, since the revivals of the 90s, I've noticed that Satan really backlashed with a lot of different attacks. And there's some doctrines and things that have come out that have kind of troubled me. And so I just want to put this out there for you guys. Because the Bible says in the latter days, we've got to be careful. Jesus said that watch out that no one deceive you. That's the first thing. Think about this. The disciples say, Jesus, tell us about what's to come. Tell us about the end times. And the very first thing out of Jesus' mouth, watch out that nobody deceive you. So I think that it's important that we simply stay close to Jesus and stay in fellowship with the Holy Spirit and get established in the Word of God and be aware that there's going to be a lot of deceptive things out there, okay? And I don't have to get into um, the really strange stuff where you've got people mixing in like witchcraft and the occult in churches or they're, um, they're okay with abortion or they're okay with, with sexual immorality and and things like that. I mean, I think all you guys know that that's way out there. But this would be a little, a little less obvious. People have gotten a mindset that we need to be so concerned about what people think and how people feel. And I and I care about that too a little bit, you know. But the thing is that I care a lot more about what he thinks and how he feels. 
And if he is speaking something and if he is doing something and then somebody gets offended at that, that, you know, that's their problem in between them and the Lord. And what I've seen is, here's some strange things. I've seen it being preached to be content where you are in Christ. Now understand that there is a rest in Christ. There is a, a rest and I love his presence. I love fellowshipping with him and all of that. But is your shadow healing the sick? Are you praying for dead people that are coming back alive? What I'm trying to say is, is there is more. And people that get content in an unhealthy way where they are, really what they're doing is, is they're digging a grave and they're going to spiritually die there. They're pitching their camp in the wilderness and the cloud has moved on without them. There needs to be a hunger in us for more of Him the rest of our lives. When I spent time with Steve Hill, I was talking to him about that. And I was saying, I don't know, does this hunger ever subside? Does this passion? And he said, oh no, no. There's always got to be a hunger for more. Number two, I've heard people saying, some saying, don't pray for revival. We need a move of God. Down through history, people have prayed. God showed up. It changed everything. We need revival, okay? Another thing is, I've seen people that are really moving in the power of God, and they'll pray for somebody that's getting healed, but then they'll just walk off and leave them, even though they may be a Muslim or something. And I'm thinking to myself, listen, the reason Jesus just healed this person is so that you can tell them about Jesus. You see what I'm saying? And there's just, I hope this is coming across the right way, but I mean it in love, but hello, we, we really need to think about this. The reason Jesus is going to heal people, deliver people, touch people, all that the Spirit of God is going to do, it is to bring Jesus glory. And another thing that I've seen is that people have a mindset that we don't need to preach any type of a message that would be against sin or cause people to feel guilty or bad or they need to repent or something like that. Oh, my goodness. I'll tell you what, what you can do. Go home and Google the sermons in the New Testament. Google Jesus' sermons. Google the Apostle Paul's sermons. Google Peter's sermons. And just read their sermons. Repent or you will perish. <laughs> I mean, these were strong sermons. And the Apostle Paul didn't pull any punches when he preached. He did not. He went back there telling Timothy, hey, man, you know, I want you to proofread this. Make sure it's not going to offend anybody, you know. Let's tone it down. No, I wasn't like that. They preached the word and let the chips fall where it may. And another thing I've seen that was really, this one was really weird to me. It took me a while to even wrap my mind around it. But people started being taught somehow and believing that you need to like totally ignore the devil and what he's doing. Now, please hear what I'm saying. I do not live my life focused on the devil. I live my life focused on Jesus and what he's doing. And I refuse to be manipulated by any demonic threat or anything the devil's doing. But at the same time, I'm not ignorant of his devices. I know what he's up to, 
and I'm supposed to know so that I can bind it and rebuke it in the name of Jesus and pray against it. But I'm focused on the Lord. But I've had people that have come to me because of, you know, they know that we teach about different things like this. But I'll give you an example. This one guy was telling me that he had really discerned a, a specific spirit that's been attacking him. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's not, what he was telling me sounded like he was just spot on about this. But then he started apologizing for noticing it. And I was like, why are you apologizing? And he was like, well, I don't want to be focused on the devil. See, he had been sitting under somebody's ministry that made him feel that way. You see what I'm saying? So just be aware that there's a teaching out there circulating that you just need to ignore the devil or something. Or right, another thing that's been circulating in the world and it's that coexist mentality. But it's found its way now in the church. And that is that tolerance is love. And we just need to tolerate everything. Well, again, I would encourage you to Google what the Bible would say about that. And how the Apostle Paul dealt with sin in the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's not so pleasant. He said, when I'm with you in spirit and the presence of the Lord is there in power he said turn that one over to the devil and to kick him out of the church because he had gotten an unrepentant sexual immorality I'm just saying that this is you got to go back to the word of God but we love everybody but it doesn't mean you tolerate everything amen all right and then the final one is what I've really been saying all along it seems to all be about pleasing man and the Bible says, the Apostle Paul said in Galatians, that I could not be a bondservant of Christ if I was living to please men. It says those words. And Paul understood that I got to live to please him. And that means that if you're really living to please Jesus, that means that there's going to unfortunately be some people out there that just don't like you. And we're going to have to get where we're okay with that. And the ministry will get you okay with that pretty quick. <laughs> so the early church lived in a state of perpetual revival for about 300 years. The presence, the power of God was in their midst in an awesome way. But here's a couple quick things. I close with this. This is what marked the early church. At least in part. Again, I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list, but... They were humble and willing to learn. How many knows that we got to be humble and willing to learn? I've met so many people down through the years that if you ask them, well, do you feel like you already know everything? They would say no. But whenever you tried to tell them something they didn't know, they would get mad. So even though they denied it, deep down they must think that. Another one is they lived, they understood the power of continual worship and prayer. I believe that Jesus went from one place of prayer to the next place of prayer and the disciples kind of start figuring out that this guy has some kind of a connection and they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, they saw that Jesus was a man of great prayer and a man of great power. But living in a place of continual worship and prayer, that in our home and in our lives and in the church, it is a place of prayer. You know what's sad to me is that the Lord said, well, let me put it this way. Did Jesus say, make my house a house of discipleship? Now, discipleship's important. 
Did Jesus say, make my house a house of evangelism? But evangelism's very important. What did Jesus say? Make my house what? A house of prayer. Yet, in most churches, that is probably the one thing that nobody's doing. They got a lot of teaching going on and a lot of socializing, but almost no prayer. Faith and expectancy. The early church lived in faith and expectancy. They believed God for miracles. The gifts flowed freely. They honored the gifts, and the gifts were flowing. They had unstructured services. So a lot of people really haven't studied what the early church was like, but the early church didn't have buildings. They met in homes. And it was an unstructured setting. And the Holy Spirit would move, and they would just flow with the Holy Spirit and move and do what they felt led to do, one person share, etc. See, when we come here in River of Life, I try to keep it loose because whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do, I want to move with Him. And the last couple things, the glory in our homes. The early church understood the presence of God abiding. See, the word Shekinah in Hebrew is Shekinah, and it comes from a root word Shekan. And if you want to really remember a Hebrew word, shikan is an awesome. Shikan means dwelling. And so what they were saying when they called it the Shekinah, they were saying that it was the presence of God that did not leave. It was the presence that dwelled continually. And the early church understood that, and they wanted their home, and these churches, which were home churches, they wanted them to be a place where the glory dwelled. Not that there would just be a visitation, it would leave, but there would be an abiding presence. And that is one of the greatest desires in my heart, is that the glory abide. I don't just want visitations here and there. I saw that in Pentecost growing up. There would be a good service here and there. You know, the Holy Spirit would move. But man, you want there to be a continual presence in your midst. And that's that, that phrase, mikdash uh, meyat, means like a small sanctuary, a little sanctuary. And God's wanting our homes to be a little sanctuary where his Shekinah is, where his glory dwells. And of course, in the church as well. And I don't have time to get into this. I get into another time, but the, the cycles as we go through these feast days and all this as a church, this has been really, really an awesome adventure for all of us. But we're going to have next week Purim. And then we're going to start a church-wide fast. And then we're going to have a, a Passover Seder here. It's going to be amazing. But these are special times. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray. And we're going to shut down recordings. But I hope that you learned something tonight. I want you to really pray about what has God called me to do for him? What giftings are in my life? What do I need to gravitate toward? Some people are intercessors. Others are gifted in other areas. But... I know all of us need to be witnessing, but some people have more of a draw to be really plugged into touching hearts than others. Others are drawn in other areas, but what is it that we're going to be used of God to do? Because God's wanting us to really...